Everybody wants you to get with the program these days. Have you noticed that? Actually, it's probably been your entire life. It's You've been told, oh, you just got to do this. Or, come on, man. There's such a push to think radical, to go with something that is outlandish or new. Our supposed leaders, well, they like to predict catastrophes or start threatening us if everybody doesn't just do as they're told. Go with the newest thinking. Sometimes going with the new is okay. Like if you're learning a new technology or a new technique for doing something, as long as it's logically better than the old one. But often hidden under some new trend or new program or new idea is a supposedly new philosophy or a new morality. Those things, philosophies, moralities, they're really old. They're not only old, they repeat over and over throughout mankind's history. You can find the different philosophies and different moralities in history books. And here's a tip for you. Those history books tell you how things turned out. Plenty of time in history there are rivers of blood and oceans of grief when some new idea was enacted. That does not deter the common theme in this progressive era. Out with the old and in with the new. Contemporary leaders credit novelty with an almost divine righteousness. The old is thrown out with contempt. After all, there was no utopia formed out of those tried and true beliefs. Come on, man. This cry of arrogant ignorance has been used so many times to bully other people. Bullying them into getting hip, getting cool, getting with it, getting rad, tubular, woke. And the new thing is usually based on lies, or at the very least, fleeting stupidities. If you're young or old, it's time to look for the solid foundations. The rude ideas that have stood the test of time. Time to look for the foundations that our society was built on. Make a few repairs, maybe, and then hang on tight. Because I think things are going to get uh, pretty wild here. But not at the moment. At the moment, you find yourself at the fire of the enemy patrol. And here, here we take some time to ponder things. So uh, stick around, eh? You have found the frequency of the Enemy Patrol podcast. Please stand by for new directions. Over. All right, welcome to the fire of the Enemy Patrol. I am the Anomic Ranger. And I am your very own reality scout. As your scout, I give you information that you can use as you move ahead in this adventure called life. But you're the general in this campaign. It's you that has to make the ultimate decisions about things. I am just a scout. I give you the lay of the land. So you can use these reports or don't. I just tell you what I see. If you want to know more about uh, what this is about, well, you can subscribe so that you don't miss a report from the enemy patrol. But you can also take a look at my website, anomicranger.com. I do a little bit of writing there on my blog. And maybe someday I'm hoping I'm going to get some, some video on there too. But we shall see. I've already fallen behind on, I know, and if you listen to uh, 
some of the previous um, shows, I've was going to try and either write something or produce a podcast at least once a week. And I really fell apart on that this fall. Just life just got too busy. But anyway, such is life. That's the way it goes sometimes. And if you like what I write or what I podcast, you can leave a good rating or a good comment wherever you're listening to them. You can, well, most importantly, what I want you to do is share with a friend. In this day and age, the way things are going, it seems like things are so crazy. There are a lot of people out there that um, are questioning things and having problems with things. So if you know somebody that maybe could use some of this information, maybe not all of it, but maybe some of it, then share with a friend. Tell somebody about the Anime Patrol. There's always room for more around the fire of the Anime Patrol. At this moment, I want to give a shout-out to a fellow named Glenn. Uh, he writes on a blog called Filthy's Thunderbox, and Glenn gave the Anomic Ranger a shout-out from his blog, and it was greatly appreciated. Glenn has a cornucopia of interesting articles about his life in northern Canada, stories about his camping, his shooting, his archery, all really good. And it's filled with a humor that you just, uh, you gotta like it. He has a zest for life, the guy. Glenn also does not pull punches when he's dealing with general politics and the stupidity of our supposed elites, and I certainly can appreciate that. But I think what I most enjoy about what Glenn writes is that he's also not afraid at times to bear his soul, share his own personal struggles in life. And that's pretty rare in this uh, social media world. Most people, the only time they write about things, they, they're always on top and they're always just so great and everything. But uh, Glenn writes about uh, some of the struggles that he's faced. So that's, like I said, that's rare. So anyway... Glenn, if you're listening to the Anime Patrol down in your reclusium right now, I raise my mug to you, and I hope someday that I can meet you in person. <laughs> Excuse me. If I, um, um, if somebody does want to get a hold of me, uh, you can write me an email at animepatrolhq at yahoo.com. That's animepatrolhq at yahoo.com. And uh, you can also uh, you can also write to me directly off of my website, but the only way to comment is you have to uh, you have to sign up on the website. And I just did that because I didn't want to spend a lot of time trying to figure out what was spam and what wasn't. And so that was a suggestion I read somewhere. Is like, well, if anybody wants to comment, they just have to leave their name and stuff on the website. Um, I'm rethinking that. I'm not sure. I might just open it up because I don't get a lot of comments on my site. So anyway, uh, these talks, I break them down into roughly three areas. The veneration of the normal man, lies found in society, and some practical steps. Now, before I get right into it, I guess I should also say, like maybe somebody out there is asking, maybe you're wondering, what is anime anyway? Anime is a descriptor of the social instability that results from a breakdown of standards and values in a society. It's also a descriptor for the personal feelings of unrest or alienation and uncertainty that comes from the resulting lack of purpose or ideals as a society begins to break down. 
And um, that has really picked up here in the last little while. I would say the, the general enemy in our society is growing by leaps and bounds. So I started this blog and doing these podcasts of the Enemy Patrol to maybe help people combat that a little bit. Some of those feelings, when I started, they were very subtle. Now they're very much in your face. But the, the normal man, the common man, is the ones that I want to talk to because you're the ones that are going to be feeling enemy much more than maybe some others in our society. So today we are going to talk in the veneration of the normal man. We're going to talk about something called, well, I'm going to call it group consensus, but it's not really group consensus. This is, uh, uh, how would I say, it's, it's, it's more like um, um, a general feeling that everybody has that somehow out there is this society that is different from the way they think and they consider it. So it's, it's kind of like a group consensus. Well, I'll call it a group consensus. So in the veneration of the normal man today, we're going to talk about that a little bit, what, what that looks like, how big that is, and how it's actually a manufactured consensus. We've really seen this with uh, this whole thing with the China virus. And I know... I know down in the States now there's a law against saying China virus. It makes me want to say China virus three times every China virus, China virus, China virus all the time because it just that making a law against saying two words is unreal. Anyway, talk, speaking of enemy. Um, so we're going to talk about that. And then the lies found in society is it dovetails in nicely. That's the lie that if everybody believes something, then it must be true. So that will fit in nicely with what we're talking about. And then we'll see how much time we have left for um, some practical steps that, that people can take to help combat the feelings of anime. Anyway, we will uh, move forward here and get on to the veneration of the normal man. So let's get into this, what the creation of this group consensus is, or this general consensus that is applied to us and is shouted to us from the top, from everything we read and see. Like, what, where does this come from? It's not quite the same idea as group think. We're going to get into that later when I talk about lies found in society. But right now I'm talking about the, this idea of a consensus. Like everybody knows the thing. And how it's all tied up in, come on, man. I know old Mumbly Joe uses that a lot. And I actually, the title of this um, that, I, that I wrote when I was making some notes on this is The Common Man versus Come On, Man. I thought that was a good title. But anyway, <clears throat> so let's take a look at this group consensus. It's, it's kind of like peer pressure. Everybody, everybody knows what peer pressure is. That's... That's, um, um, you know, the, the idea is like, you know, well, here, have a toke or I'll just have one drink or uh, you're fine to drive, you know, where you're pressured by a group or by your friends or something to do something. This is bigger than that. You know, the idea that everybody's doing it or everybody's thinking this. Canada's great for this. Uh, uh, we have a, 
or Canadian Broadcasting Corporation or Communist Broadcasting Corporation. It's CBC anyway. And they love saying, they like, Canadians feel that. And I think Canadians are beginning to ask themselves, just what Canadians are you talking to? Like, are they Eastern Canadians, Western Canadians, those in the North, those in the South? But the CBC, well, Canadians feel that, you know, Canadians aren't like that. They like to, they like to tell everybody what they're thinking, even though I don't think they have a clue what they're thinking. But anyway, this is the idea of this, of this manufactured consensus that's shoved in our face. So uh, how is it orchestrated? Well, it, it's, it's top down. There's no getting around that. There's very little is grassroots anymore. It's a societal pressure that's put on a certain idea or a, you can call it the narrative. It's the pressure of the narrative. The nar- narrative is written. This is what people should think. This is what we want, what we want people to think. And so they write it down and then they just blast it everywhere they can. And the normal man is left with the idea that everybody else but him has a certain thought or a certain idea or thinks things should be run a certain way. And what I want everybody to think about is that, you know what? Maybe it's not. Maybe this, is, this giant consensus is totally manufactured with the culture that we have out there. I'm talking about the internet, television, radio, magazines, newspapers, billboards, um, movies, the, the news culture. The narrative is written down and then it is blasted everywhere you look. Now, the idea that culture can be formed this way, there's a, I'll use this as an example. When I was in my younger years, when I was a younger man, the idea that uh, they were trying to get rid of the old morality, you know, that you should uh, wait for marriage before quote unquote doing it. And I remember when I was younger, it was, it was everywhere. It was in every song. It was in every movie. It was in every TV show. And, and you know, they, it was, things weren't as blatant as they are now, but the idea of doing it, it was, it was pushed and it was, it was done in such a way that it was the, the truth was just, that just had to be accepted. Oh, everybody's doing it now. Everywhere, everywhere you, a person looked, it was pushed for lack of a better term. And this was, uh, there was one thing that was different about the way it is now. I mean, it's, there's still a lot of pressure for, for um, young people to not wait for marriage before doing it. But now it's just hookup culture. When I was younger, it was like you ran around and, and did it as much as you could, but then you'd find that one person that would be your soulmate and on and on and on that would fix everything. Now it's just, it's still being pushed, but now it's just hookup culture. So this is, an, uh, this is a concept of a, of a, a manufactured consensus and, and it works as its own feedback loop. Uh, and it's worked at from the top down in, in, well, take for instance, let's take a look at this. I, I'm rattled off a whole bunch of stuff. I rattled off, you know, television and, and radio and magazines and newspapers and movies and all these different aspects of our culture. But if you remember... <clears throat> or if you are in the know or you want to look into it, there are only about six main companies that run all the media in the world. So you could get all the heads of all the media companies in the whole world into a boardroom. They could actually sit down and decide to write reality the way they saw it, and you would see it everywhere. You wouldn't see anything different. 
there would be nobody there to argue against it. For instance, you can have a company that can, that can put money in to make a movie, and then that movie can be touted in two or three magazines as what a great movie and newspapers over half the country and go on three television talk show type things raving about the movie and you've never left the same company. It's all within the same company. And yet what they're actually manufacturing makes you think that, well, everybody feels this way. I mean, I've seen it everywhere. I've, you know, I heard it on the radio when I was driving to work. I, I saw it on the internet and, and there's that guy that writes for that one paper. He does movie reviews and he said it was awesome, but it's all the same company. They're selling you an idea and making it look like it's coming from all over and it's not. Now, I'm going to talk about this, this whole China virus thing and tell you that this is looking very much like a manufactured thing. Now, I'm not saying the disease isn't real, and I don't, I'm not even going to jump up and down and say it came from a lab, although I'm pretty jaded. I kind of think it did come from a lab. It seems like to me like it's a laboratory thing, but I mean, I'm no scientist. So, but even if it didn't, the, the amount of, of noise that come out about the whole story and how it was all manu- and it manufactured, it came from everywhere all at once. And at first everybody listened to it, but the, the longer it goes on, the more idiotic it begins to look. It's, I wouldn't say the word idiotic, the more manufactured, the more artificial it begins to look. Wear one mask, no wear two, no wear three, no don't wear any. It just, they, almost like the powers that be can't get their story straight and they're, they, they got their finger in the wind trying to figure out which way the wind's going to blow to see what they're going to say in the next time they get on internet or television or whatever. So the, this concept of, of uh, um, top-down um, manufactured consensus is something that everybody needs to think about a little bit. So let's look at uh, some of the primary drivers of an artificial consensus. And they're interesting in that I would say if you go on on all the the last few things, the the trends or whatever you want to call it that's happened, you can go back as far as Y2K and ask yourself uh, how many of these primary drivers were in place. There's uh, roughly five main drivers. Um, the first main driver in, a, in an artificial consensus, I think, and I've, I've already talked about it a little bit, is the worship of novelty. You know, this idea that everything's evolving. You've got to get with the times. Uh, you know, that morality you thought was, was so strong, that was so yesterday. Like, nobody thinks that way anymore. This is something new. This is something that's... I mean, look, here's this trendy person who's now a star and, and he's promoting it or she's promoting it. And it's, it's almost unspoken, the unspoken concept that everything that is old has been debunked. And that's, that's very much a lie. There's a lot of things that go around and around and around, like I said in the, my monologue at the beginning, in cultures and societies, moralities and, and ideas. 
there's really nothing new under the sun. Let's take a look at one. How about this? I mean, because a lot of people, especially if you're younger, I mean, you, you talk to somebody who's old like myself and, and was born before the internet, and it's, it's hard for you to believe what the world would even look like without an internet, without cell phones and, and things like that. Um, but let's look at something that's what's really, really old. Let's, let's look at about bloodletting. You know, that's the idea when somebody gets sick, you, you um, take out some of their blood and maybe they'll get better. And it's when you learn about it in school, when I learned about it in school, it's like, oh, these people, they didn't know what they were, they had no idea about medicine. And, you know, the idea of drawing out blood with leeches or, or drawing out blood at all is just, I mean, that's so yesterday. And there's, there's no reason to think that way. And, and they must have been, you know, thought they were letting out demons or something. But actually, you find out now that there was some really serious diseases that could actually be cured by drawing out blood. In fact, uh, it's just I, I didn't read the article closely, but it was this thing about using leeches on wounds to help to help uh, wounds get better, and it actually worked better than a lot of the antibiotics. Whether it's true or not, I don't know. All I'm saying is, is that just because something is old doesn't mean it's totally without any credit at all. <clears throat> not that I'm telling you to, you know, next time you get sick to, you know, cut a vein or anything, but get start thinking about in your head the idea that <clears throat> just because it's old it's bad and just because it's new it's somehow different or special or or should be given you know credence just because it's new i mean look at the way this is going with this china virus i mean there are people that are being doctors and scientists that are you know, being poo-pooed on the internet because, well, they don't understand because this is a new threat and they keep pushing that in our face while you, you know we have to do this because this is a new threat, a new threat, a new threat. And they, they throw that out like it should just, that should just end the whole argument. Like when they, people say, you know what, this lockdown thing is just, that, that doesn't look like a way to, to um, stop a disease. It looks more like a way to, you know, wipe out an economy. And, well, you don't understand, because this is a new threat. Well, it's not that new. It's a disease that's that's not much stronger than the flu. So just to say it's a new threat is not a way to shut down other arguments. But that's the playbook. That's the way it works. You've got to go with the new idea. You don't understand. This is a new thing. And, you know, everybody has this desire to be in the know, to get it. Like, come on, man, that's why that works. That's why the people say that. That's why Joe Biden probably says it's like, come on, man, like get with the picture, get with the program. You know, this is hip, this is new, this is, this is, this is moving and shaking. That is not a good argument. That's not a good argument against older wisdom. All right, let's look at number two. Another driver for a constructive narrative is the data ocean. That's what I call the data ocean. It's just mountains and mountains of data that you have to go through. And they will, uh, they, the internet is great for that. They, they can throw stuff at you. You got charts and you got graphs and you got this and you got that. And they can, you know, shove reams and reams of numbers and charts and, and they can line up experts. And really what nobody wants to talk about is the fact that with experts and charts and numbers 
you can line up stuff on the other side of the argument with the same thing. But the way it works is now with this new concept of, of um, a fact check, it just, anything that's not on the narrative, then it gets a fact check. And yeah, our big tech companies are really going whole hog on that. Let me tell a story to, to um, tell you where, uh, this idea where this comes from. When I was, uh, oh, it's probably 20 years ago, 30 years ago, I was, bu- I was building a house. And um, um, it's something I'd wanted to do all my life. And so I was lining up. I had this idea what this, what this house was going to look like. I was going to build it along older older ideas I didn't want it to do is I wanted to put a central um, block chimney in and then I wanted a wood-burning device downstairs and a wood-burning device upstairs and I was going to run both of them into the same chimney and I phoned around and I found a, a brick company that made these big square blocks and then you put what they called ceramic thimbles that stacked up like blocks inside and then you poured in a fireproof insulation uh, in around these thimbles and and you this chimney would go through both stories of the house and both wood burning devices could could plug into it and the chimney would be there I mean, the house would probably fall down the chimney would still be standing there because I had put in other chimneys metal chimneys insulated chimneys into houses and I didn't like the way they went in I just had this this idea that this this block chimney would be way better, way more fireproof. So I even was going to do this right through because when I poured the, the foundation in my house, I I made a stronger foundation under where this block chimney was going to sit, roughly in the middle of the house. But as I started building, I phoned around to get insurance because I wanted to have insurance in case. Uh, there was a fire happened while I was building and everything. So I started talking to insurance agents and I found out that I could not insure this house with this block chimney. And so I tried to like find out like, like why, what's the problem with it? And nobody would give me a straight answer. I phoned two or three insurance companies and they just, no, they, they were having none of it. And one guy finally said like, look, what do I have to do to my, my block chimney in order for you to give me insurance. And he said, you'd have to line the chimney with stainless steel. And I said, why would I have to line concrete with stainless steel in order to make it fireproof? He said, well, okay. He said, I'll tell you what, what happens. This is how the insurance industry works. The years and years ago, the companies that made stainless steel chimneys put in millions of dollars of research that their chimneys were safe. And so they produce study after study, you know, the guys with the white lab coats doing all the tests and they tested and tested and tested. And so there was a mountain of data about stainless steel insulated chimneys, but nobody was doing any studies on cement chimneys. So what happened was, is these insurance companies, as they go to the underwriters, they can find all kinds of stuff about stainless steel. They can't find anything about concrete. Consequently, if you don't have stainless steel chimney, you couldn't get insurance. So this is the idea where, you know, the, the 
mountain of data, the ocean of data, and the concept of experts, it falls apart. It, does, it falls apart in the face of common sense. And that is a great way to manufacture consensus. You just keep throwing data in and you find, you know, uh, experts that will, that will tell exactly what X, Y, and Z. And there you go. You just keep shoving that. And, you know, in the past, maybe this worked. We trusted experts. We trusted our government. But the bottom line is you can find an expert to back almost any opinion. And that's what's being done now. We've really seen that with this China virus thing. I mean, they, you could find scientists and doctors that would say something different, but, oh, you run those guys out. You get the other expert up and say, oh, everybody has to listen to this expert. They ruin the enemy experts, if you want to call it that, with character assassination. Oh, those people aren't real doctors. They're not real scientists. So they find something in their life that's a little bit different. And, you know, the problem is, is most people today are... Too, just too late. I, no, I won't use the word lazy. I, w I could use the word lazy. Maybe people are lazy, maybe apathetic, but I mean, let's face it, the common man, that's what this is about, is the veneration of the normal man. Uh, you just don't have time to, to become your own scientist with everything. In the end, you got to go with somebody's numbers. I mean, it's awfully tough. If, if everything that was reported, you had to sort through the expert opinions of 12 people. Very difficult. So that's one of the another way that you can manufacture consensus is just by pouring on the data. Okay, number three. And this one I've talked about, I think I talked about it in, my, in one of my other podcasts, I think uh, 15, um, episode 15. <clears throat> the moral component, adding a moral component to your manufactured consensus grants it some really heavy muscle. Because nobody wants to be the bad guy. So if you add a morality to it, well, then people just, especially the normal man, just wants to follow. Nobody, nobody wants to be the bad guy. Nobody wants to be the, that, that guy. So there's so much of the narrative today that, that they use this. They use it like a bludgeon. They use it like a, like a weapon. And it's, you know, it's all about race, 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 or it's all about sexism, or it's all about because normal people don't want to be the bad guy. They don't want to be the racist or the sexist or the, or the homophobe or the hater or the bigot. So you see in, in um, creating this group consensus, adding a, a moral component to it is, is really powerful. This is how um, it's being used today to usher in a, a collectivism through the idea of critical race theory. Now, I don't have time to go. I don't want to run down that rabbit trail right now, but um, I hear other people are talking about critical race theory. I, if you go back and listen to my other episodes, I, I think I take a, a swing at that one just about every time I go by. But, you know, <clears throat> if it's, so it comes down to if you don't like our communist ideas that we want to shove down your throat, then you must be some kind of a racist. You know, look how much this, this, this China virus narrative is being used as a morality, a sort of morality. Well, if you don't want to wear a mask, that must mean you're selfish. If you're going to question lockdowns, you must want to kill grandma. I mean, and there's, there's lots of these. So the bottom line is, is good people want to be good. And evil people are willing to use that. 
So keep that in mind when you're thinking about this concept of a group consensus. Okay, number four. They, and I use that in quotation marks, those that are manufacturing their consensus, will never admit to a mistake, ever. Never, never, never admit to a mistake. They will lie, they will deny, they will change wording. And even blatant, even right in your face. I mean, look at back when this China virus thing first started. You know, Trump talked about, well, how about hydroxychloroquine? It looks like there might be some promise there. Well, all of a sudden, hydroxychloroquine, I mean, that, it was like a killer. It was a, was a horrible thing. It was like, oh, it was totally awful. And it, you saw it everywhere. It was on Facebook. It was, it was uh, the late night talk shows talked about hydroxychloroquine and, and, and there was, there was government people were talking about charging doctors or druggists if they tried to use it. Well, now it's slipping out that actually hydroxychloroquine is, is very safe. They manufactured that consensus. And they've used a lot of these components that we're already talking about in order to do it. You know, it looks like idiocy to, to the normal man. The normal man looks at this and goes like, what is wrong with the world? It, it, it's, why do, why does thing, everything want to, or why does everything look like it's upside down? You know, that right is wrong and wrong is right. And, you know, dark is white and white is dark and daylight is night and night is daylight. It just, it seems like everything is going, but because all this works by sheer inertia, it doesn't matter. The evil people don't care if they lie. They don't care if they cheat and they don't care if they look like fools. They just keep yelling louder and louder and louder to try and drown out common sense. You know, you just look at, <clears throat> you know, I don't, I don't watch a lot of television. In fact, I don't watch any television. But every once in a while, I, I catch a clip when I'm going through stuff on the internet of these, uh, some of these talk shows that they have where they, they get a bunch of experts together and they're supposedly trying to talk about something. And it, I don't know how many times I've, I've tried to watch it and I just end up clicking past it because these people all just yell at one another. They yell and talk over top of each other. You can't, you can't understand what they're saying. It look, you know, it looks like, I don't know, to me, fake wrestling looks better than what those people are doing. You know, all, all those talking heads all yelling at one another. Anyway, I won't keep going in that. But yeah, they... These people that manufacture, trying to manufacture consent, they will never turn around and, and just admit that they were wrong, which is a lesson because, you know, so much of what I see on the conservative side or, you know, that side of the aisle is we spend so much time trying to dig in and find the facts and explain it and have patience. And, you know, quite frankly, they don't care. These people that are trying to bring about this great reset or whatever, they don't give a hoot about whether they look like idiots or what they're saying is true. They just don't care. So maybe it's time we don't care either and just start calling them out for the fools that they are. Last one, number five, is attack any and all opposition to your manufactured consensus. Kill the message. If you can't kill the message, then kill the messenger's reputation. If you can't kill the messenger's reputation, 
well, maybe you'll actually kill the messenger and eventually kill everyone who believes in the opposing message. And I am, I'm very, very serious when I say that. <coughs> Pardon me. It's like, that is, that is the line that they, that they want to do. And it's been done before. Uh, it was done under Nazism. It was done under communism. And don't think that there isn't people out there that are so desperate to force their reality that they are not willing to kill for it. So one begins to wonder, are they sane but evil people knowingly trying to pull the wool over people's eyes? Or are they completely insane and actually think if they close their eyes and they yell loud enough and they put out the message far and wide enough that they actually think that they can change reality itself? That's something to ponder. You know, at this point, um, we would be remiss if we didn't uh, take a look at the sheer size and power of the media. I kind of went into a little bit talking about, you know, that you could get all the heads of all the media in the world, basically in one large room around one large board table. But I think um, a person has to also realize how few independent voices there are out there. It's one thing to say that the, all the giant media is owned by all the giant companies, but it's another thing to try and ask yourself how many independent voices are out there? How many people are allowed to just, you know, say what they think and not get shut down the way things are going? I mean, it's just got crazy in the last little while here. I mean, the internet really is the last stand of the normal man, the last stand for the common person. And now it's under attack. You know, I, I think what we got to do um, as people is we got to stop seeing size or glitz or money spent. Um, stop seeing experts as the answer. Stop thinking that somehow the size of something or how much money was spent on it, the, the, the glittery news is better than the guy just, you know, going on YouTube and, and giving his opinion into a microphone. Really, this concept of experts has been used against the normal man so much now to to form this this group consensus and then use it like a hammer between everybody's eyes. You know, I think probably the majority of the common people all see the same thing. But the common people are, are drowned out by the sheer volume and, and production of this manufactured consensus and manufactured culture. You know, I, I th you have to allow or even force your thinking to change. Look at the people around you and, and, the f and the flow of them around you and see that as the real world. You know, oftentimes in, in my, when I'm giving some practical steps, I tell people to turn off all their devices and go out and sit and look at trees for a while just to get this, the, this, this manufactured consensus and manufactured culture out of your head for a time. But when you're looking at people, when you're looking, when you're in a mall or you're driving down the road or wherever you are where you see a lot of people, see that as the real world 
and all the screens and papers and all this stuff that's shoved at you, all this stuff that comes at you with glitz and color and sound and, and wild stories. Think of it as a, a Wizard of Oz phenomena. You know, pay no attention to the little man behind the curtain because it really is a bunch of little men behind the curtains that is, that is putting out this stuff. And we have sat and allowed this circus to, to dominate our thinking. They, they've literally changed reality so that we, when we look at real people that we meet every day, somehow we see them as dull and artificial or, you know, like uh, you can go on those, those sites and they, you know, people of Walmart, you know, people that dress weird and people do things. You know, as funny as that is, or, or maybe some people don't see it as funny, but th those are real people. Yeah, maybe they're a little different, but they're real people. And those people that you meet every day are the reality. That stuff that you see on the screens and in the movies and TV shows and all those different things, that's not real. That's all artificial. And we have to stop accepting this screen vomit as real. Reality is difficult. Reality can be painful. <laughs> reality is very often boring. But reality, I think, is the only place that God can share real joy with his creation. It's the only place where you're going to be able to find things that, that are, well, are real. You're never going to find this world that is shoved at you, that is created from screens and from papers and from this, this manufactured consensus world. That one, that one will never give you joy. It will only give you a hunger for a world that does not exist. So yeah, here we find ourselves as the, as the normal man, and we have to get more into reality. We have to start accepting the real world around us. And we're going to talk about more of this as we get into the next, next uh, spot, and that is the lie of the day. And the lie of the day today is if... Everybody believes something, it must be true, which fits in nicely with what we're talking about. Yeah, this is something, you know, if, if I went up to five people and I asked them this question, like if... If you were in a room and everybody said that water wasn't wet, would you agree with them? They would, they would chuckle and say, oh, no, 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 I know that water is wet. But you know, it's very subtle, but this concept that consensus is somehow equal to truth works at us at a deep level in our mind. <clears throat> you know, where I... It's, we're kind of back to almost this social pressure idea or this manufactured consensus thing. I mean, it's actually rare for an individual to stand on truth when they're faced by a group that believes the opposite. And they have done a lot of studies in, in universities and stuff about this concept where, you know, they, they um, bring somebody in that supposedly it's a classroom and nobody's supposed to know each other. And, the professor starts talking something that's complete and utter nonsense, then anybody who's anybody would know is nonsense. And then the rest of the class, who are all actors, are just totally agreeing with this professor where it's nonsense. 
And then when it comes around to the one guy that's the patsy, quite often, very often, he will go along with what the group is saying rather than stand up and say, you know what, you guys are all full of it. That's nonsense. Nobody wants to buck a group. Nobody wants to be the person that is outside of what the rest of the group is is thinking. Now, there's a real problem to this. This is called groupthink. And it actually is dangerous to society. Uh, I think this is one of the reasons why our society is getting dumber. Is because groupthink is being pushed more and more. This idea that somehow consensus, if you get a whole bunch of people in a room... Uh, especially if they're really smart people and you get them to, you know, brainstorm and spitball that somehow they're going to come up with something that is bigger even than the sum of their parts when it comes to IQ. And it's actually is the exact opposite. It actually makes the decisions dumber when you try and solve them as a group. Now there's numerous studies that confirms this. Um, I read a few of them. I didn't, I didn't, dive into it deep I just dove into it enough to know what groupthink was and and how it works but you know there was these these studies um they studied like the space shuttle failure and I think it was 1986 the space shuttle blew up and tried to figure out what was wrong and that's what it come down to is it was groupthink there was all these scientists and all these technicians and all these supposedly really smart people and everybody in the group knew that there was a problem with those O-rings on the, I think it was the main fuel tank, if I remember right. Everybody knew it was a problem, but nobody wanted to say it because nobody wanted to be the person in the group that said, we got to scrub the launch and go back to the drawing board and rework this whole thing. Nobody wanted to say it. Nobody wanted to be that guy. So everybody just went along and, well, kaboom. Um, from what I understand, the whole dot-com bubble, when it burst, it was the same thing. It was like a, a huge... Um, um, group think problem. Nobody wanted to be the person that said, "Hey, this this can't this can't float. This can, this is not going to work." Nobody wanted to be that guy. So, you know, even even when you have a group of people at genius level intelligence and they try and negotiate as a group, everybody becomes an idiot because everybody's bowing more to social pressure than they are to what is actually what's up and what's down. You know, you can. You can look up lots of stories. And if you even think back, I'm sure, in your own uh, thinking or in your own past, anybody who's ever been to a board meeting knows that when a group gets together and they try and come up with a decision, it's like you, you sit there and you wonder, like, uh, how can people be this stupid? And yet everybody in the room seems fairly intelligent. It's this social idea of being that nobody wants to stick out in the crowd. So the social aspect of the group even overrules intelligent thinking. And the strange thing is one of the, the bad influences on the group think is the same influence that can actually save the, the whole thing, namely a strong leader. In other words, somebody who wants to be that guy can take the responsibility of the decisions and then get all the intelligence from the group, put it all together, and then make a decision. And sadly, an overbearing leader can also be the complete downfall of the group because if the leader isn't very smart and all he's looking for is to get group consensus, then he will hammer down somebody that wants to stand up and be that guy when it comes to the, the, the decision. So 
Nobody wants to challenge somebody who's obnoxious, um, if especially if they're if they're dumb. <laughs> so yeah, we have to be very careful and watch out for for um, dumb leaders. And it seems like we seem to be have a lot of them in this day and age. I think one thing to watch for is if someone who wants to be a leader and he wants to, you know, wield a lot of clout in a group, but he also wants to pass the buck. Like he's not willing to, you know, he wants to tell people to sit down and shut up and, and tell them that their opinion is dumb and he wants to do all that. But in the end, he wants everybody to take responsibility for the decision of the group. That is when you see that, then you'll know that you are um, being forced into a form of groupthink. Yeah. Anyway, it's time to put all this together. I mean, this is something that you can say to yourself. You can write it down on paper. You can chant it like a mantra. All to no avail. You will succumb to this most of the time. And that's the belief that, at least in your mind, that if the majority of people believe something, then it must be true. And I'm going to tell you why this one is so hard to get over, why this is a tough one. Because it comes down to how you learn things growing up, how you have learned things in school, how you have, you know, it, it's, it's an honest and humble source. As you were growing up, you, the majority and especially the majority that, that had authority over you, parents, teachers, older siblings, told you things. They were the majority at the time. They were the voice that said, hey, you know what? Fire can be dangerous. Then you turn around, light something on fire, and suddenly you're an idiot. An idiot that's actually in extreme trouble now. Do you see how that worked? Most people told you something. You didn't listen, and you became an idiot in a lot of trouble. So you've been groomed ever since you were young to follow the herd and try not to do something stupid your entire life. However, as your reality scout, I'm here to tell you that a million people can all utter words that are wrong. It should have been up to our education system to teach you how to think instead of just teach you what to think. You know, you should have been introduced to maybe some ancient thinkers, you know, and, and learn how to analyze what they, how they came to their conclusions. It would have given you the, the tools, so to speak, um, to forge ahead in, into and, and even combat new ideas with, with old tools for how to get to the bottom of things, how to think about things. And you could do it while you were standing on a bedrock of truth. And you probably wouldn't have even set anything on fire. Okay, at this point of the enemy patrol, I like to give people some practical things to do. And if you go back and listen to 
the episodes 1 through 15. I think I've pretty much given something at the end of each of the enemy patrol as the fire burns down. And there's been all kinds of different things. I'll list some of them off here in a bit. But I always start this out uh, with the same little rant. It's one I heard as a kid when I was growing up. And I had spent too long sitting on the couch watching television. And it was usually given to me by someone older that couldn't stand to see a kid sitting around. And this is the way it went. It said, get up off the couch and turn off that TV. Get outside and do something. You ain't going to learn anything watching the boob tube. Get outside and get the stink blowed off you. If this keeps up, we're going to have a country filled with people that have wide, soft asses and even softer heads. Yeah, and I've challenged my readers to walk and exercise, learn how to navigate, learn how to fast, learn how to read things, build things, grow things. Like I was talking about before, getting into reality, getting into the real world. And this is all important and it becomes more important every day. I try and fit this, you know, these practical steps. And I, I don't have a, a really, um, a really important one today. I just, we've been talking so much about, you know, about uh, culture and, and how to stand up against the crowd and, and how to stand up for your friends and how to not just keep your head down. And I thought, you know, there's, uh, there was a, there was a, actually a poem come to my mind. So this is going to be the exercise that you have to do. You have to go find a poem. This poem is written by Robert Service. And uh, if you don't know, Robert Service was a, yeah, he was a poet, amazingly enough. Uh, he wrote a lot of his poetry uh, when he went up to the Yukon during the gold rush. And uh, I've read a lot of his poems. He was very prolific. He has a lot of poetry. And it's not, a lot of it isn't flowery stuff. A lot of it is, is uh, I don't know if you could call it practical poetry or fun poetry or whatever you want to call it. There's, I, I love his stuff. It's really good. Um, I've even memorized a couple of his poems, but... The one, the one I thought of when talking about all this culture stuff and how to stand against the crowd, and and the poem is called "The Ballad of How McPherson Held the Floor," and it's a poem about um, a bunch of Scotsmen get together and they decide they're they're tired of at their weekly social. They're tired of hearing all this newfangled jazz and stuff, so they wanted a good piper. So they found themselves a piper. And I mean, bagpipes, I, I love bagpipes, but I, I can only take so much bagpipe <clears throat> music. But anyway, they wanted some good Scots music at this function that they were having. And so they found this fellow named McPherson who would pipe. And then, and uh, anyway, go read the poem. <clears throat> it's a lot of fun. It ends up in a fist fight. But, um, you know, when, when um, cultures collide and, and the concept of standing up for your friends standing up for people and standing up for what you believe is right. Just there's a lot of it and it's a lot of fun in there. Anyway, I want you to, uh, as we, um, after you read that poem and, and think about some of the things that we've talked about here, you know, I think it's really important to start seeing yourself as an individual. That's going to become more and more important as this group um, consensus is keeps getting shoved down our throats and the, they keep using this group think to try and 
force us as a people into a into a, um, a certain path, just like driving cows, you know, down a down a corral or something. You've got to start seeing yourself as an individual, and that will help you to work past some of this manipulation and brainwashing that has been. They've been inundating us with brainwashing and this this groupthink manipulation for a long time. You gotta start seeing yourself as an individual and realizing that this life is an adventure. And I give this, I think, pretty much at every outro, every time I'm signing off, I remind people that this life is an adventure and you can have fun with it. You can see yourself as an individual on this great adventure. Like I said, you can find me at anomicranger.com. You can send me an email at animepatrolhq at yahoo.com. Don't forget to review and like and all that good stuff. And don't forget, until we meet again, keep an edge on your knife and keep your matches dry because this life is a one-time adventure. So you got to learn to live it that way. So, uh, vaya con Dios, eh? <laughs>